This quote this week is from Shane. Shane, hit us with it. Go on. I'll never apologize for the way I try. Ooh. Is that Miles Teller's character who says that? The people? No. Who's, oh, is that the teacher? Yep. Oh, of course, because he's so unapologetic. Okay, here's my quote that I had. There are no two words more harmful in the English language than good job. So the teacher this week has a very interesting philosophy, which is that it's kind of like the the most tough love teaching I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean, which is tough, really. There is no actual love. There's just abuse. <laughs> yeah. So the film this week is It's Whiplash. a Whiplash, which I've been looking forward to discussing ever since we started this podcast. It's something I've wanted to discuss. As soon as we thought, okay, we're going to do a podcast about teaching, films about teaching, this was the film I wanted to discuss. Why didn't we do it in season one, though? I think we had a lot of other ones we wanted to do. Yeah. And I guess I was a bit worried about you watching this film because I know you like to watch kind of sunny, light-hearted, uplifting films, and this film is so stressful. <laughs> So, so stressful to watch. It is very, very stressful to watch. And to be honest, I, I did find Kez quite stressful. Mm. And this is outrightly stressful. Yeah, Kez was definitely stressful because of the abusive teacher. But this, is this the worst teacher that we've seen? I think it is because I don't even think I'd consider him a teacher. I feel like he's a bully who realised teaching was a fantastic opportunity for him to bully and belittle creative people. For me, he was very, very arrogant and everything that he taught was for his own pleasure. It wasn't for any pupil to gain anything from. Um, I just thought it was really, really sad because they actually did come to him with a love for the subject and with a passion to learn and be the best. Um, And he made it his actual job to break them. Yeah, it's when you use the word pleasure because I don't feel like there's any pleasure in his teaching. So he teaches a, the shape. For himself though, right? When they get it right, he's in a place where he thinks, this is me, this is, I've done this, they're perfect because of me. There's there's his joy. We only see that the literally the last shot of the film, isn't it? Is finally he cracks a smile. We don't see him smile the entire time because the pupil, Andrew, has finally satisfied his incredibly high expectations. So the mm-hmm. whole film, I guess, is peeing towards that. Let's just explain where this is set. So it's set in Schaefer Conservatory Music, which is a fictional musical conservatory, which we're told is the best music school in the country. So this is the context in which he applies these incredibly high standards. So the musicians applying here are supposedly going to go on to have these you know, illustrious careers. What he's looking for is the next genius um the next jazz genius it seems particularly jazz seems to be a genre um and this is why our pupil of the week andrew played by miles teller applies there because he's also extremely ambitious right he wants greatness what did you think of andrew would you like to have taught him um first of all i think uh, it's it's interesting about schaefer because whilst it's a fictional school it represents juilliard so that is a prestigious performing arts school Mm. in america um, it's got very, very competitive acceptance. What I know about Juilliard is that Save the Last Dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's where Julia Stars really wanted to get in. I feel like maybe we should do that pretty soon as well. I feel the the end dancing to Save the Last Dance is one of my favourite pieces of cinema. I cannot watch that without laughing uproariously. Did you see for my birthday this year I recreated it? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Maybe we should uh, do a live podcast where you... Uh, <laughs> we digress. Anyway, so... Um, 
what was interesting from from this film is so many people came after the film was released um quite a few people identified themselves with andrew um and came forward and won legal cases against teachers that were very similar to oh, Fletcher. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't do much reading around films. I usually mm. leave that to yeah, you. Yeah, you never do research. <laughs> so today I, I do feel like this is my moment to shine on <laughs> the extracurricular reading around uh, the homework. But, um, no, I, I thought it was quite interesting. And the Andrew's perform uh, Miles, Miles's performance as Andrew obviously touched a lot of people. Um, based on how he responded. And um, there was a student that we never actually met, actually, who committed suicide. Um, and the way that the teacher presented his death to his students was, he was in a car crash, I'm really upset by it all. He was one of my best students. Um, but what he was doing was actually, again, protecting himself selfishly. Um, and, yeah, I think Andrew played an amazing character because it's so hard to speak up against your your idols. It's interesting you did research for this one. I wonder, was that because it's kind of so unbelievable that someone could be this awful to their pupils? <laughs> Actually, through through it all, I wondered if it was based on a real story. The director, Jamie Chazelle, was a drummer. Interesting, and did go to music school. Right. So that would suggest that some of this is based on his real experiences. Yeah. Mm. So whilst the, whilst the entire story was based around a fictional school there were elements of real um abuse it is what it is it, it, it's pure torturous abuse uh, abuse of power abuse of the system and it, no one really spoke out about it until andrew was sat down by his father and said you know the way that you've become is not right and this other person um, what was his name? Something Casey? Sean Casey. Sean, Sean Casey, Casey that's mm. the one. His story came about in the news and because they didn't have enough money to pursue a lawsuit, they didn't go ahead, which also shows another side of, of power of abuse, knowing that you're rich enough to cover things up and that people won't come after you. Yeah, I, I actually don't even think it's about wealth necessarily. So the teacher's called Terence Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. He's so terrifying that I feel like it's a silence actually brought primarily by fear. I feel like because he really does he's very physically intimidating so when we first see him his method of teaching seems to be to motivate through humiliation so he's not just abusive in the sense of that he's physically violent and he shouts and stuff he seems to seek out humiliation and di and deliberately make people feel awful so we see that first lesson where he can hear someone's out of tune and it's so tense because he keeps making them play and then he eventually whittles it down and then he finds the person who's out of tune shouts him out and then it turns out he wasn't even out of tune but because he didn't know is what he says he's justified throwing him out even though he's not really seen that actually he's so intimidating that this person doesn't doesn't even know what their own mind is anymore because he's managed to stamp his own impression of them so firmly yeah and um, i think in that moment every single student who's playing that instrument is doubtful of their own abilities because they they're not sure if it's them who's out of tune yeah right and the look of relief when he eliminates them one at a time um speaks volumes about that fear factor yeah it's it's actually a really great depiction of abuse and that's a weird thing to say but it's, it's a very apt uh, depiction of it i think in that it really shows the way that abuse 
makes you doubt your own sense of self. Mm. So that he he takes that wrongly as this musician not being skillful enough to know whether or not he's in tune or not, right? Not having self-confidence enough, but fails to see that he's the reason this person has lost that self-confidence. He presumably came to him as a very talented musician and he's systematically broken down that person's sense of self to the point they don't even know if they're in tune anymore or not yeah. until he tells him that he isn't and he accepts that. It's like he's looking for this impossible person that is able to stand up to him and express their own sense of self. But actually at the same moment, he doesn't actually want that person. He can't accept that because he's such a dominant figure. Yeah. He's actually really terrifying. Terrifying. And I think the reason why it was a it was a much more stressful watch. The the idea that your students are scared of you, the idea that you're not promoting a love of learning, the idea that you are not giving them the tools to be confident and you're actually doing completely the opposite and breaking them down, taking something that's wonderful and making them doubt themselves. It's just, it just went against every single ounce of what I think teaching should look like. Mm -hmm. And yet here he was, the best the best at the top winning competitions taking these kids to you know levels that they think that it's him that's doing it to them not realizing or having any faith in themselves it was just horrifying mm. <laughs> in one word yeah you saying that he's the best as well i find this really interesting because that one of the really key themes of the film i think is that he justifies this as what we're saying we're saying that he's abusive and that his method of teaching is just designed to actually break people down. And we see that with Sean, who kills himself because of his abuse, essentially. But actually, he says that being any other way would just breed mediocrity. And that's what the education system is now, mm. that it's just everyone gets a reward. No one really is um, challenged. He sees kind of abuse and challenge is the same thing. And therefore, there are no great musicians anymore because no one is actually willing to push them to the limit to achieve and to create, right? So his whole argument is that his philosophy is that Charlie Parker, the jazz musician, became Bird, became this like genius because his teacher threw a symbol at his head. And that's the moment that Charlie Parker became a genius because he became so determined to prove to this man that he could do it and that he could ex express and create. When actually I feel like his philosophy is very anti-creative. It seems like such a stressful environment like music is something that should be joyful and should be something that these musicians are expressing themselves and yet they're actually they're so stiff and terrified of him that no one can ever become a, a genius i don't think in that environment because they're so terrified of this person how can anyone create art in that situation it doesn't make any sense to me mm. and yet do you feel i read a few articles about this because i did do a little bit of reading around it some people felt the ending of the film where andrew proves him wrong essentially and shows that he can play is actually a validation of his methods because you see him don't you smiling like he's finally got it after he's completely humiliated yeah. him so just to explain in the in the final sequence he tricks andrew who at this point has managed to get him sacked from his job he tricks him to playing one last time in front of everyone and switches out the songs so he has no idea what he's playing and completely embarrasses himself has to walk off stage but then he determinedly comes back he actually then takes the lead and he has to follow so Fletcher has to actually accept that he's reached that level and he sees it it's implied as like well this is what happened see I humiliated you so much that you wanted to prove yourself and now you've done it so do you think it justifies his methods to be honest I don't think Andrew went in with that intention because at the start when he starts drumming and he he says that it's um caravan isn't it the name of the song yeah I, I feel like I've seen this film a few times now and every time I hear the first bars of whiplash yeah I feel like I get shaky. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no. So it's oh, not, no. he doesn't go in with whiplash. Uh, mm -hmm. Oddly, you'd think that they'd play out to whiplash, but. 
because he, he knows Whiplash, right? He wants to humiliate him. He's yeah. doing a new thing. So he, he, he goes in and he starts the drum beats to, to Caravan. And his thing is, he's going to lead it and he's going to prove you wrong. You haven't broken me. I'm not going to walk off the stage embarrassed. I'm going to embarrass you because right now you're the one who hasn't got a clue what's going on, right? And he's playing and he's playing and he's playing. And I think that backfires on him a little bit when Fletcher comes up and he's like, you've got it you finally got it like this is what i wanted from you the whole time and there's that moment where they're both looking at each other and andrew's kind of almost like pissed off a little bit because what he set out to achieve by doing that has kind of backfired on him but then he comes around to the idea that actually this is what i wanted the whole time i wanted acceptance from this guy mm. and he's giving him that acceptance and it's almost like the happy ending that we could have done with before the car crash right mm. however i've got to say before the car crash i kind of felt like that's where it was going i felt like actually he he'd become this image and i've i'd never seen the film before and i thought what was going to happen was he was going to go and perform at this this concert he was then going to become the next terence fletcher Okay, so in my mind, I saw him actually succeeding and then losing himself in that success and the story going down a completely different path. When that car crash happened, I literally was completely standstill frozen. I couldn't believe it had happened. And then when he got out of the car and headed towards the concert hall to carry on playing, my heart broke like to be that determined that you have stopped putting yourself first before anything else because you cannot let somebody else down for me is the ultimate kind of sacrifice yeah so just to explain what's happening in that moment and they're, they're at a competition right mm -hmm. and he his coach to the competition breaks down he knows he's got to get there really early so he tries to hire a car. He leaves his sticks in the car rental place. He gets there. He's already late. The guy's like, no, you're not going to play. He's like, I am going to play. He goes back, gets it. He's driving so fast that he then ends up crashing into, a lorry crashes into him. And he still gets out of the car, like bloody broken, runs to this place, comes down like literally like dripping in blood and tries to play, but can't play because he's injured from this fucking car crash. Because you see at this point, his level of, mono maniacal obsession with proving this guy right and it's like his desire to be a great drummer and his desire to prove this guy sorry desire to prove this guy wrong i should say have become one which is what i think i i actually don't interpret the end in the way that a lot of people interpreted it which is that it's a justification of fletcher's methods i think it's him deciding that actually he's no longer going to go along with what Fletcher wants him to do. So previously, you've always seen Fletcher does that thing, doesn't he, that twitching of his arms, where he's like, right, stop, stop, stop. And he directs literally to the second what everybody does. But in that last sequence, Andrew actually says, fuck it, I'm actually taking charge here. He starts the song, he doesn't take his cues. Fletcher has to follow him. And so he actually, I think, rejects his authority. And ironically, in doing so, wins his approval. Yeah. I think why I find this film interesting is that it, it's kind of ambiguous in that it doesn't endorse or even necessarily critique Fletcher's methods. There is a sense in which he gives Andrew something to work against. And there is a kind of implication that that is valuable. It's just that he goes way too far in his abuse. So it doesn't justify his methods at all, but it does kind of imply that 
had he just hand waved Andrew through, he wouldn't have achieved the greatness he achieves at the end of the film. Which is something I guess you could you could trouble and you could say, well, is this really the message that we should present to people? Which is they've got to literally be dripping blood until they've done enough, right? But equally, you know, we've just seen the A level results come out and they're the highest A level results ever in all time, right? Have you seen this? How many people have got A's and A stars? And a lot of people are talking about, you know, great boundaries drifting and us allowing kind of mediocrity to be rewarded. So there is a sense, I guess, that there has to be some kind of a stand. It's just that he imposes his in an incredibly abusive way. I think the film definitely challenges his method. Um, going back to what I said about, you know, people coming forward and bringing real life stories out of teachers who taught in a very similar manner and then being imprisoned because they clearly abuse their students to what they call push them to the best yeah um, and, and he does stuff that's clearly across the line like you know he hits them <laughs> yeah he hits them and you know he throws things at them the film makes a very clear point of taking Andrew to one side, telling him that it's not acceptable, telling him to come forward, to which he does eventually, but at the cost of his his vision, his dream, his his future. So I agree with you that they don't endorse it, and in any, if anything, they they challenge it and they bring to light a lot of methods that maybe people aren't aware of, maybe people don't realise how much people in the performing arts go through to become the best of the best Mm. um i know there was a lot about ballerinas a few years ago about the age that they start and the the exercises that they put them through to make them flexible Mm. to make them agile and the question arose like should we be putting three four-year-olds through that especially when their bodies are still growing still changing and actually what are the long-term effects of of such methods so I think films like Whiplash definitely bring to light the Terence Fletchers that we we seemingly are unaware of. Yeah, 100%. And I guess it asks the question, what is the cost of success and, and how do we even define success? So you mentioned Andrew's dad, who interestingly is also a teacher. And did you notice there's that really well-observed moment when Fletcher and Andrew first start talking and he asks what his dad does and Andrew doesn't say, does he, that his dad's a teacher? Can you remember what he says he is? The writer. Yeah, so he, and he says that implicitly because he's embarrassed mm-hmm. to say his dad is a teacher because then Fletcher says, oh, like a college teacher. And he says, oh, no, high school. And you can see this sort of like look of judgment pass Fletcher's face as if to say, well, he's a failure. And he uses his dad, doesn't he, later when he says, oh, you know, you're going to, I'm going to ruin your life to the extent you're going to make your dad like a success story, right? Like he's, he labels his dad as a failure. We get this again and again, this idea that if you're a teacher, you're a flop in life. Mm-hmm. And yet Andrew doesn't really seem to see that actually, in my eyes, his dad is a successful person. We, we hear that he is a really great teacher. He's won all these awards for teaching. He seems to have a really happy, comfortable life. He seems like a nice person. He's just a humbler person. He's happy with getting on with his life and teaching kind of embodies this idea of him just wanting to have this quite humble existence. Whereas Andrew wants to be Charlie Parker. He wants to be a big name. He has that hole that I think a lot of artists have where they just have this drive to prove themselves to everybody and stamp themselves over the world. There's also, if we're going to explore their relationship, there's that factor that his dad doesn't actually know him that well. Um, yeah. You look at the, the one of the beginning scenes in the cinema when he empties the raisinets into the popcorn. Do you do that? I like to put uh, like Maltesers or okay. minstrels I, or I can see that I can see that uh, buttons into my popcorn. Maybe we should we should try that. You see you see that moment and um, 
then Andrew doesn't pick out any of the raisinets and his dad's like... Are you saying raisinets? That's what they were. I've never heard that. Talk. There's raisins and there's raisinets. So, yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that's what they were called. I've I never heard this. The chocolate-covered raisins. Oh, I've never heard that. But basically, wow. he doesn't like them. And yeah. So what do you see that as meaning in the film? His dad doesn't know him. Mm. Like, and apparently he's been doing it for years. Yeah, and you see that in the dinner scene as well, don't you? So he has dinner with, I think it's his friend and his sons, is it? Or are they family? I, I quite think they're family. Out. And so the the sons are like college football players, right? So yeah. they're not they're not going to go pro, which Andrew reminds them quite cruelly that they will never get called from the NFL. And yet their their kind of athletic achievements are really celebrated, and his dad and the other guy, presumably his uncle, are really enthusiastic. And yet Andrew's desire to be a drummer, they're very very dismissive about yeah. it. But I don't necessarily interpret that as him not knowing his son. I think you're right, he doesn't know his son, but I don't think that's necessarily because he hasn't made the effort. Andrew seems like a very closed off yeah. and quite haughty person. Mm -hmm. He seems like he doesn't really interact well with others because he's so driven to the point that he can't even have a quite casual relationship with a girl. He just drops her because he's so obsessed with being a drummer. Mm -hmm. So I think he's probably a bit of a puzzle to his dad. Yeah. And I, in one sense, I really admire his drive because I think there is a certain truth to what he's saying about the fact that you have to be completely obsessed with your art to, to truly succeed in the way that he wants to succeed but the cost of that seems to be pretty much everything else in his life even his dignity at the end you know when he's like embarrassing himself in front of everyone to try and prove this guy wrong here's a question for you go on so the the end scene comes about after andrew sees terence in a jazz club mm -hmm. right and then Terence approaches Andrew and says, you know, have a drink and feeds him this lie that, you know, some other kid grasped me up and got rid of me from Schaefer. And then in the end, he invites him back for this concert. Now, obviously, Andrew doesn't realise that it's a route to, you know, get him back. And um, But would you in that moment, would you have gone back? knowing that this person had caused you so much pain, so much damage, um, essentially you you lost your, your future, your dream because of this person. Would you have gone back to that concert, to that situation? Because for me, I wouldn't have. So therefore that whole embarrassing scene where he's, you know, humiliated, it wouldn't have happened because he wouldn't have made that choice to go. I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have trusted... Fletcher, mm. I think that's his mistake actually is that he trusts him because he desperately wants this man man's approval, mm. right? He's very much a surrogate father figure. Although it's weird that he needs a surrogate father figure because he already has quite yeah, a nice father figure. Yeah, he's actually decent, right? Because yeah, even yeah, then, yeah. his dad turned up to the to concert, right? Yeah, but he's he's actually very similar to Fletcher in that they're both snobs. I think they're both obsessed with their art, obsessed with jazz, and kind of elitist. And mm. his dad doesn't meet those elitist expectations, and that's why he's embarrassed of him. Really, he wouldn't be embarrassed if his dad was a writer, but he is embarrassed that his dad's a teacher. So in that sense. I wouldn't trust him but I do in the same sense relate to Andrew in that I also think I'd want to prove him wrong <laughs> I think I would have that fire within me I, there is a certain truth to that I think if you look at any people that ever get mega famous they always have a kind of psychic wound <laughs> that causes them to want to prove themselves eternally which is of course an impossible thing to ever achieve right you can never really prove yourself to everyone in the whole world there's always gonna be someone who's just like nah not really that bothered by your art I'm not, I don't really you know not really impressed by your drumming or whatever else mm. but I can relate to that it, this one actually reminds me of Black Swan so Black Swan's about this ballerina Natalie Portman who just wants to be the prima ballerina and give the best possible performance of the Black Swan mm. and does that basically 
to the detriment of her sanity, she goes insane and she dies at the end, trying to create the best performance. And it ends with her smiling, even though she's dying, because she was perfect in that mm. performance. It's a very similar thing, I think, of this artistic drive. And, you know, not everyone's an artist. I think it's something that is very specific to people who want to create art, is that it's, it has to be an obsession. I think I do think artists have to be obsessive about what they do. And I think because he's so into drumming and so obsessed with becoming an incredible drummer, I think he was always going to step through that door, no matter how much abuse he received. I actually think it's more about that. It's more about him wanting to prove to the audience or as much about that. Um, and it's also, I think, about him wanting to prove to himself that he can play as it is about proving it to Simmons. Because you see that he has that drive even before he meets him, right? That's how he ends up in his room. He kind of makes himself known to him, right? He's peering in the door. He's trying to get in there because he wants to be the best. And this is the thing, this kind of abuse. Most people, if they were being treated this way, would never go back to that lesson, right? That After that first lesson where he throws the symbol at his head, most nine out of 10 people would be like, fuck this. I'm not being abused by my teacher like this. Most people would not put up with it. And I wonder if actually that's how he's able to get away with it because he only selects the most ambitious and therefore the most vulnerable people who really want to prove themselves, who really do want to go on to great success. So they're kind of, they're very similar characters, actually. It's almost like Simmons is like a personification of his own ambition, really. You know, that's how it works. Do you think you'd go through the door? Watch out which name you're using. Are we using character names? Or <gasps> oh my God, names? I'm so sorry. I keep saying Simmons and it's Fletcher. But you know what it is? It's because he's so physically imposing, J.K. Simmons, in this role. The outfit that he wears, that like really tight black t-shirt. And you know, he always wears the same thing, which is a, a Mark very Zuckerberg thing, isn't it? Well, Simon Cowell's Mark Zuckerberg. Oh my God, Simon Cowell. He does just like Simon yeah. Cowell. Well, because Mark Zuckerberg, I think it's Mark Zuckerberg, only wears the same thing every day. Did yep, you know this? The grey t-shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know why he does that? No. He talked about it. I can't remember in an interview I feel like it might be someone else as well in the tech world who does this it basically cuts out having to make the decision of what should I wear today which he sees as a distraction from his work because he's also a workaholic and obsessive I feel like Steve Jobs used to do very similar yeah Steve I mean he does dress very similar to Steve Jobs so this is another way in which they're similar they're both obsessive artists so the idea is it's a waste of my artistic energy and my creative drive to work out what I'm going to wear I wear the same thing every day and then I can focus on my art but the other thing about Fletcher not Simmons that's interesting is that Loki, he's also kind of a failed artist. Like he sees everyone really as a failure if they're not Charlie Parker. He certainly sees Andrew's dad as a failure. And yet he's not a great musician. It, go, it goes back to teachers though, doesn't it? Like a lot of people, what is the, 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 the big phrase? And we did, Those we who can't do teach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, you learn a profession, you learn, you, you do a very specialised degree. And I think, so, I saw, here we go. I think I saw on Twitter somewhere someone asked the question like did you always want to teach and the percentage no. of no's <laughs> versus yeses but i think bigger. that's fine i yeah. honestly think that's fine somebody else tweeted actually this week do you know any students that are aspiring to be teachers and i said yes because mm. honestly I do you know i know a couple of students who've said to me i wouldn't mind doing the job but teachers don't seem very positive about teaching mm. and I remember having this discussion with a young man and saying you know for me this is my vocation this is what I enjoy this is what I love you know I can't think of another job where I can change 30 lives in one go in 50 minutes um, and it's having that you know those conversations with them openly um, and for, for, for this young man, he said, well, teachers don't say that to us. And I said, when do we have the time to tell you, you know, if we're not doing curriculum stuff, we're, we're doing admin stuff. And when can we ever sit down with you and tell you that we genuinely love our job other than to show you through teaching? Mm. Um, sometimes you, you need to look beyond the words and, and look at the actions. Mm. So I think Terence 
again, he has failed at something and clearly he's got a chip on his shoulder. Well, I think you have to, you can only imagine if he holds every single student to the standard of they've got to be Charlie Parker or they're a flop and a loser. He must also hold himself to that same standard because when he loses his job, we do see him playing at a bar. So he's a bar musician, essentially, when he's not a teacher. He's by no means a great name. He's a he's a famous as a teacher. That's what he's actually mm-hmm. good at. Well, we said that he's not actually good at teaching, but you know, that's what he's esteemed at. So one of the ways that he threatens them is before they go out to do their competitions and stuff, as he says, you know, you've got all the important people from, you know, the New York centers watching here. You've got people from the Lincoln Center that's watching, a real center. which is a real center. And he says, my reputation online, don't fuck this up for me. So he's clearly built his reputation as like someone who curates great talent. And that is a fantastic skill and it is an important skill. But the thing with teaching is it's not, an esteemed skill, right? Everyone agrees teaching is important. Nobody really seems teaching as high status. And that is fine. I think that's honestly actually fine because what I like about teaching is that it is fundamentally humble and selfless. It's also something you have to do to learn to love it. Does that make sense? Mm. I would never have thought I wanted to be a teacher until I started doing it. I was like, oh, I actually really enjoy doing this, you know? Teachers sometimes have a bit of a chip on their shoulder, I think, about the fact that, you know, we're not, we're respectable, but we're not superstars we're not like the doctors mm. <laughs> and the dentists <laughs> but ironically every doctor and every dentist has been in a teacher's class yeah fundamentally which goes back to what i was saying which is that we're important we're just not esteemed valued. yeah <laughs> no i don't think that's not as i don't think that's the same as not being valued i do think most people value teachers genuinely and this is the thing actually what Fletcher's doing as a job, although he's doing it terribly, is really important. He's creating the next great musicians, mm-hmm. right, of the contemporary culture. But the problem is that he has this kind of um, status, obsession with status, which is a kind of a disease. So it kind of bleeds into everything. And I think he's miserable because he's not meeting the standards that, he, that nobody can meet. True geniuses, well, when we could go into the world or not, we think geniuses exist or not are very rare beings most people are never ever going to be able to attain the level of genius so if you hold everyone to that standard you are committing yourself to to being miserable and to making everyone else miserable right which is why everyone in his world is so fucking miserable Mm -hmm. because no one can meet the stat the impossibly high expectations that he has including himself and we never actually find out he's kind of a black hole isn't he and i I sort of enjoy this about the film that we don't really know anything about him do we we don't really know anything about where he came from how he ended up at this school Mm. he's redefined through his role as teacher you see see that one scene backstage where he he bumps into a friend and he's being incredibly nice to that little girl her dad is gushing about the fact that she's just started playing piano and so you know terence says to her you'll be you'll be playing with the studio soon and he's just so lovely like you can imagine that that dad's feeling really proud that terence fletcher has just invited my daughter to come and play with the studio band Mm. and he he does have this persona where you know you can kind of get this idea that those who don't work in his classroom or have worked with him in the classroom think of him as some kind of music mogul that has this wonderful personality. Mm. Well, I don't think it's a wonderful personality. I mean, the amount of times he tells people to fuck off. <laughs> but in that, in that particular scene, you kind of get the idea that nobody other than the people in his classroom know what he's really like. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, actually, there's that, that similarly, there's that little conversation he has with Andrew, isn't there, before he plays for the first time in his band, where he's so approachable. He mm. just says, look, you've just got to believe in yourself. Don't even worry about it. Andrew makes the mistake of opening up to him, telling him about his mom leaving, telling him about his dad, etc. And then as soon as he disappoints Fletcher, 
Fletcher uses that shit against him to embarrass him. Your fucking dad's a failure. Your mom fucking left you no wonder. Blah, 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 blah. So to me, the juxtaposition of those two things suggests that actually he is a truly abusive person in that he feigns nicety to use the information he gains from that intimacy against his victims so i think you're right he definitely has softness similarly with the sean casey thing the the people that we find out later he basically led to suicide he does seem genuinely distraught when that person dies so he he's clearly emotional in front of the class he takes the time to play them some music of him although he doesn't admit you know how he actually died he makes up some bullshit he the fact he does that clearly shows grief right and a sense of remorse but it's like this monster <laughs> takes control of him as soon as he has people in front of him in a lesson which um can you relate to <laughs> i don't know what you're trying to imply there but no, no i can't <laughs> <laughs> let me say what because i i understand this in a sense in that one thing i think i've learned about teaching is that um you it's quite unusual as a job in that you have to stay in control of your emotions all of the time yeah whereas you know and that's the case with most jobs obviously but you know if you're in an office job and you have you've had a bad day you're pissed off or you know someone close to you has died you can kind of go through the emotions a little bit and hide away at your desk and people will leave you alone whereas teaching you're on display at all times and yeah. you don't have time to recuperate a lot of the time when you're on so i've had days where you know i'm a bit ragged and a bit tired and i'm fucking horrible yeah. and it's real and you can't and it's awful and you can't do that you can't teach that where you have to be consistent <laughs> but it it takes a real emotional toll to constantly perform the teacher version of yourself I feel like do, do you think that's why I'm a bit of a crier because I cry a lot and you know that I cry a lot uh -huh. um, <laughs> but you can't cry in front of kids no. and especially no. when they are really pushing your buttons mm. and like as much as we try and say we have no buttons mm. or you know we, we've always composed everybody's got buttons and there's everyone's going to come across whether you're in primary or secondary or higher whatever your your stage or your position in teaching is everyone's got buttons and everyone's going to come across one kid at some point in their career unfortunately for some of us it's multiple kids and sometimes they're in the same <laughs> class and you can't cry. They're doing their damn best. And you can't cry. And I have um, a level of admiration for those people who make the decision to be able to walk away from the classroom. I've got a colleague who is renowned in, in my last school who would happily call SLT and say, you need to take over my class because I can't do this at the moment. And we'll walk out. And that admiration comes from being brave enough to say, I am not okay. I need a moment. Now, don't get me wrong. He doesn't do this on a daily. He doesn't do this weekly. He doesn't do it once a month. It has to be pretty bad when he does it. And he must have done it in the time that I've known him, maybe twice, maybe three times. Mm. But the fact that he's able to do it and the fact that people understand why he does it speaks volumes. Now, yeah, we're on show the whole damn time. And now that you said it, maybe that attributes to why i seem to be emotional outside of the classroom all the damn time <laughs> it's it's definitely i guess particularly as an introverted person like i'd say you're extroverted right you like being around people mm. uh, it to me it does take a lot of energy for me to be around people and I, I guess if i was a colleague of fletcher's much as he's incredibly unapproachable and would not appreciate it i think the core of his problem is that He's very emotionally unstable and, and his ex high expectations aren't actually the problem. The problem is the anger that is inside of him that when someone doesn't meet these high expectations, so that first lesson when Andrew can't meet his pitch, within about two minutes, he's throwing a symbol at his head and swearing and shouting and insulting him and all of this other stuff, which is his issue, right? He has a real anger management problem. 
I, I can relate to that a little bit because sometimes, like you say, kids frustrate you. Of course, in this situation, his frustration is completely unfair, really. Mm. I don't know, maybe it isn't unfair. He would say he's at the best musical in the country. He's invited in this drummer. The drummer should be able to meet his pitch. How hard is that? I have to disagree. Like, his job is to teach him to reach that pitch. If he's not doing mm. it right, show him how to do it. We don't see any of that. We just mm. see a clear expectation of you walk through those doors, you should be able to do it. Yeah, you're and actually, actually right. actually, he doesn't teach anything. No, you're right. And I've thought about that because I was thinking about this when we were going to go into talking about the lessons that we see. Although he is technically a teacher, you really don't see much, much teacher at all. He's really more of a finisher, isn't he, actually? It actually feels more like he cherry picks and then he just they just run through it and they have to keep up you're absolutely right we never really see him training rehearsing mentoring any of that they need to come to him as a fully finished product and meet exactly his expectation and if they can't do that they're getting chucked out and they're getting humiliated you're you are actually really right he doesn't teach at all so i guess we can't really talk about any of his lessons <laughs> well so i did make a few notes that the first thing i noted then was did you notice he enters at 9am exactly can we talk about that for a second like the very first time he invites andrew to his sessions he tells him to be there at 6am sharp and you see him oversleep and go through hell to try and get there he even throws him down self down the stairs mm -hmm. to get there and he gets there and nobody's there and the session doesn't even start till nine like why put someone through that why do you think he puts him through that once to see his dedication his motivation i think that's a generous interpretation because actually he's not there so he won't even see that i think it's a way of playing with him and breaking down his sense of self i think it's a way of saying you're gonna come one t what time i tell you it's a way of saying that i'm in control here and you're not in control because he doesn't turn up till 9am sharp so how's he even gonna know he was there when he does turn up they all stand up immediately how do you feel about that as a rule, standing up? I generally think that in this day and age, most of us have, especially in secondary, primary, even less so. Most of us have our own classroom, so we're already in there before the kids. It's not a case of the kids are in there and then we walk in and they have to give us some kind of salutation. It's the other way around now, isn't it? You're, you're mm. expected to be in your classroom, ready to teach. You're either on the door greeting them. Mm. I, d I don't think it's something that is applicable to us, especially in the UK. Given the number of schools I've worked in, it's been pretty much the same. I think there's something to be said. I think this is the one sliver of, of a moment where I would say, if I was interpreting this through pedagogy, he has a very clear routine and very clear expectations. They know he comes at 9am, they stand up and they don't move a muscle until he gives them a hand. Mm. And equally, they don't start until he exactly starts them. All the instruments are tuned, so they're no ready. There's no time for faffing. No, so, and, that, and there is something to be said for that. I think Teach First did this a lot in our training of drilling your routines and spent investing time in doing that at the beginning of the year so that you can see actually the flow that is produced, right? Because I think ultimately his you, just... You're saying Teach First from that into you. I'm, I'm 13 full years done now and mm. it still gets drummed into us because routine by far is the calmest way to start your lesson. And whether your, your routine is different to the classroom next to yours, it doesn't matter as long as your students know that that's your routine and that's your expectations. Yeah. So I guess that's the one moment we could say that he's actually been on all right. Teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And then everything else is just terrible. <laughs> if we had to do any, uh, a WWW, what went well? What would be the EBI? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> let's, let's try and be it down. human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we had to drill it down, I think I would summarize the issue. I'm trying to think if I was observing this man, I would summarize the issue as uh, it is an incredibly stressful environment for everyone, including him. And it does not have to be that way. He seems insistent that 
making everyone feel miserable and fearful is the same as making everyone disciplined. And I think that could be challenged. I think there's an element of truth to what he's saying about the breeding of mediocrity through overpraise, certainly. But I mean, he doesn't ever praise ever. Well, does he praise? Do we ever see praise other than the very last moment? I don't think he does. I think the lack of <laughs> criticism for them is praise. I think they've come to understand that if he's not criticizing you, you are doing a great job. You're right, because they all avoid his eye contact as well, don't they? Yeah. He's the kind of teacher of, if he's standing out of your way, then you're doing okay. You're absolutely right. So a lack of attention is a good thing in that class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a classroom, a practice room. I think the issue is his, it's his personality. It's just fundamentally yeah. his personality. He's a very angry, students. stressed man. And that is making everyone else feel incredibly stressed. So when the music sheet goes missing, do you think he stole that music sheet from Andrew? So there's a moment where Andrew gets a drink from a vending machine. He turns around, the music sheet's gone. Loki, do you think that he hid it to sabotage the original drummer. Yeah. I thought that as well. So Andrew's holding this stuff because he's initially an alternate. He has the music sheet and he has made it very clear, Fletcher, that you cannot lose. He doesn't want to see any music sheets lying around. He literally puts it down for a second, gets a drink, turns around, it's gone. And then the original drummer is blamed, which allows Andrew then to become the the true drummer. I low-key feel like he did that to get rid of that drummer because he wanted Andrew to be the real drummer. Yep. He um, was just looking for excuses to get rid of him and yeah. he gave him one. Yeah. Shall we start wrapping it up? Yeah, absolutely. I guess we can't really do an Ofsted report on the school because it's Oh no, I, I would school. do an Ofsted report Go and on. I would rate it. <laughs> Special measures. They fail to address it. They fail with the Sean Casey incident. That was a clear opportunity for them to go in and and remove him. But instead, what they do is they sideline Andrew because Andrew could have stayed in that school. He could have been not part of that whole situation if they just dealt with it from the Sean Mm. Casey incident. And clearly, he'd already been gone for a number of years from that institute. And so this level of abuse had been going on for a number of years. And to be able to get away with it for so long um, and to the level that he was getting away with it suggests that it's not a school that safeguards their students. Mm. Um, They prestige themselves on being the best and that's all they want. It's results driven. It's not driven by the well-being of their students and their staff. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right. The Sean Casey incident and episode when they clearly knew it was because of this man abusing this this kid they don't even investigate it is a real dereliction of their duty and it leads to what happens with andrew really doesn't it Mm. also endangering himself really Mm. you see him you know the night before in the rehearsals when he can't decide between the three drummers they're all literally dripping in sweat blood coming out their hands and you know they they're in a position where they are physically not fit Mm. they literally cannot do it because they are exerting themselves so hard. You don't see the whole band coming together until like 2, 3 a.m. Because, you know, he's that hell-bent on making sure that they're in the beat to like a 16th of a second. Which, you know, it's near impossible. Yeah, it does. If that scene really shows you that what he wants from these people is actually impossible. He will never be satisfied. It feels like he's torturing them. It just yeah. feels like torture. And I think that's what makes it feel more like... Not to go back to the fact that PE teachers are always the villains. It feels like a sports film, actually, doesn't it? He feels like a sports coach more than he's a music teacher because there's no sense of creativity or pleasure or expression Mm. at all. It's literally a performance, Mm. a rote kind of muscular performance. And And I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. This film 
highlights that some teachers make it about themselves more than anything they don't perform it reflects badly on them if they don't do this it disappoints them it's nothing to do with the students at all it's all about them and themselves and their perception of what other people think of them and for me that's what made it the most stressful because there was no compassion there was no kindness the whole reason that we all go into teaching is to to mold and shape the future Mm. and for him it wasn't about molding and shaping the future of these young people in front of him it was about what he could gain from them Mm. for himself yeah you're right and it's i think it also shows that the danger this film proposes, I guess, is that ambition can override humanity. Both ambition for yourself, so Andrew's ambition for himself, really overrides any other elements of his personality or his humanity. And equally, the school's ambition to have, quote-unquote, great musicians overrides any kind of humanity extended towards their students. So I think it's very much a film about the danger of ambition, which I guess brings us back to my quote, there are no two words more harmful than good job. <laughs> Work harder. <laughs> so you are in fact a Fletcher you would no, not say I'm good job more, more harmful than that is the two words work harder oh I get it <laughs> I don't know if I disagree with that I kind of I kind of agree with that statement actually I don't think it's harmful but I think it should be very selective yeah however please do not throw symbols at your students heads it's not a very nice thing to do my, Const- mine would be beakers <laughs> Because, yeah, what would you throw in an English lesson? Pencils, I guess. Books. Books. <laughs> it would be a book. <laughs> okay. Okay, I think we can finish there. All right, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work at incompetech.filmmusic.io and the license is at Creative Commons. See you next week. See ya.